0: This is Deep Blue, where we get the true-life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. On today's show, we visit with a former UCLA and BYU women's basketball player who still has a good jumper, we'll ask her, and who's back at BYU as an assistant coach, who also had stage 4 breast cancer and a wish granted at a game, at Duke. She is Melanie Day. What's up, Melanie?
1: What's up, Jerry? I almost called you Jordan.
0: I get called Jordan sometimes. It's okay.
1: It's like a first name, last name thing, you know?
0: Yeah, and uh, you're always thinking about hoops. Exactly. Michael Jordan, Jumpman. MJ,
1: I'm always thinking about it. My shoes, I always want to wear Jordans. Of course,
0: I get it. Okay, listen, (laughs) when I saw you today, I said, what's up, baller? And I really mean that because you just evoke this swag and this basketball (laughs) sense. Like, when I see you, I'm like, oh, there's something cool going on right now. So <laughs> thanks for coming in here.
1: Hey, I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me in here.
0: Okay, you have a, a really rich story. Let's start from when you were younger. You end up going to UCLA out of high school. UCLA, that's pretty good. That's pretty cool.
1: We were pretty good. We were a really good team, actually. And high school, my high school team was actually really good. Like top five in the nation, good. Oh. Um, had a player, had a teammate that went to Virginia. A lot of teammates that went on to play in college. And then... Um, went to UCLA. And yeah, we were, when I left, let's see, my junior year, we went to the lead eight. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And my senior year, what would have been my senior year, we were picked number three in the nation preseason. And so instead of sticking around for that season, I did the old Mormon thing and went on a mission. So um, I went on a mission, leaving that knowing that that could have been you know we could have won the national championship um so, that, so it was, was a lot a to sacrifice decision? for sure I I you know I came to that decision because I knew that's what I was supposed to do um it was that personal revelation that I knew I was supposed to go then and I knew I was walking away from a really great opportunity but I knew I also knew it was the right thing so in the end it wasn't too hard because I had that overwhelming feeling that I needed to do this and then um what ended up being what would have my, been my senior year for UCLA, they actually didn't do that great.
0: Well, obviously, well, well, Melanie Day not on I the team. was the missing link. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, they had the number one high school recruit in the nation come in as a freshman. Um, we, my class in particular, was just one of the most talented classes ever. I think um, we had multiple All Americans, and um, it just for whatever reason they just didn't gel. Uh, and they just didn't have a great season, which speaks to team chemistry is so important, you know, which I'm really good at, apparently. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, so I went on a mission, and then um, on my mission, another personal revelation came through, and I end up at BYU for my last year, not even thinking, you know, basketball-heavy, thinking this is the right decision. I have no idea how good BYU is when I walked in here, and we actually end up having the best season up to that point in history and went to the Sweet 16. So I was fortunate enough to be a part of an Elite elite Eight team and a Sweet 16 team. And uh, we're hoping to do very similar things this year with our team.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so UCLA at a high school and then Mission to Lisbon, Mm -hmm. Portugal.
1: Yeah, and had incredible experiences there where I just grew so much, changed so much as a person. And like I said before, I had um, these experiences that have changed me forever. Where I made this huge decision to leave UCLA while I was on my mission. And my mission president, um, awesome, Philip Trost, uh, he actually let me call home whenever I needed to because I had this experience, this revelation that I needed to transfer to BYU. So he was. All on board and helping me, which is not typical, right? Back then, we never called home. Yeah. Back then, it was one letter a week, um, snail mail, no emails. It was writing letters. Christmas and Mother's Day. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas and Mother's Day is when we called home. And so he allowed me to call home to arrange, like, how am I going to get, how do I transfer? And I ended up um, talking to my, he had me call my UCLA coach as opposed to writing her a letter, Mm. which is one of the hardest conversations conversations I've ever had because I had explained to her, I'm leaving. And she had saved a scholarship for me. She had saved it. She didn't recruit over that. And so having that conversation with her, she's trying to persuade me to not make that decision. And I know in my heart, I know what I'm supposed to do. And it's like, how do I tell this person who isn't faith-based like I am, doesn't understand what I have felt? what I needed to do. Um, so that was a really hard decision or really hard conversation. But yeah, it was a um, very interesting time talking on the phone a lot, but getting blessings and knowing like this is the right thing. So.
0: And that was Juddie's first season? That was first
1: season as head coach was my senior year here at BYU. Yeah.
0: So, so you're like, yeah, yeah, uh, this first year head guy, I'll jump right in. Was it about <laughs> BYU? Was it about the Program that di- you didn't, you said you didn't know what you were yeah, getting into. Yeah, you just wanted to be at BYU.
1: I just, I mean, yeah, I don't even know if it's what, but like, of course, it ends up being that way. But I don't know how spiritual we can get on this podcast, but um, for sure, it was this is what you're supposed to do. I mean, if I can go into more detail, I remember exactly what I was doing when I had the very first thought of me thinking about transferring. I was brushing my teeth, you know, being very good at my personal hygiene on my mission. <laughs> Um, I was brushing my teeth and I ha- I remembered this. F- I flashed back to this memory when I was in high school, and I was um, I drove up with some high school friends to watch the UCLA versus BYU football game. This is probably like ninety six, maybe ninety five. I think ninety six, but anyway. Um, and so we drove out to Provo. Cause you live in Irvine. Yeah, sorry. So I'm from Southern California. Yeah. So I drove out f- with um, a couple of high school friends. And I am cheering for UCLA because, like, that's where I'm going to go to college. You know, I know I'm going to go there. But as the game went on, I had this interesting experience in, in my heart. Like, I, after a while, I'm like, no, I'm going to cheer for BOU. Like, my heart is with BOU right now. So I switched to what I was cheering for. So here I am on my mission, brushing my teeth. And I had, I was just immediately flashed back to that. And so it just started getting me thinking, like, why am I thinking about this right now? I'm supposed to be focused on these people on my mission. This is like halfway through my mission. And so I started thinking about it and I couldn't get it out of my mind. So I thought, I need to address this so I can stop thinking about this. I got a blessing and it was very clear of what I needed to do. Um, it was very, very powerful, very clear priesthood blessing I got from one of the elders in my district. And after that, I knew that I was supposed to do that.
0: Without knowing if you wanted, they were gonna take you. Yeah. So right. Yeah. Hey, LDS transfer from uh, UCLA. Yeah, yeah, we'll take you. But y- did you have all those details lined up?
1: No. Oh, in fact, faith based. They knew who I was.
0: Yeah. Um, had they recruited you already? Yes,
1: yeah, so it was a different staff, but they knew who I was. But they didn't have a scholarship for me. So here I was. Did you walk on? Huh? You know, it's not that big a deal. But if you're in athletics, you kind of understand like scholarships a big deal, right?
0: It's validating, but it's also logistical. Yeah. You got to pay for stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, who
0: didn't get a scholarship? So, you get. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> so,
1: interesting story. Maria Chiara, who her maiden name is Goldsmith, she was on the team. She was actually recently baptized, came over from New Zealand, joined the team. Right when she joined the team, she had a prompting, probably the exact same time that I had the prompting to transfer to BOU, she had the prompting to go on a mission. And so, I am transferring a to BOU. They didn't have a spot or a scholarship. She decides to go on a mission, and I have my scholarship. So, hey, the Lord works in mysterious ways, but wow. it always works out.
0: Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> We're talking with Melanie Day on Deep Blue. How's the Portuguese?
1: Mm. Mal. <laughs> <laughs> that means
0: bad or poor. I went to Brazil. Yeah, that's right. So I speak Portuguese. I actually went out with the missionaries the other day and spoke Portuguese. No way. To Brazilians. Where? It was fun. In Provo. They have
1: Portuguese-speaking missionaries here?
0: Well, they're waiting to go to Brazil. Due okay, to COVID okay. and visas, got it. And their Portuguese is hooing. It's <laughs> terrible. Um, so your your Portuguese and my Portuguese is a little different. Just like Very. England.
1: Yes, that's English what always compare it to.
0: in American English. Yes. Cacho-ho the more
1: sophisticated.
0: Uh, of course, pure, you take that as Is a from Portugal. Yeah. You say cão for dog, uh-huh. and we say cachorro. Yes, right. There's some yes, differences. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Are you automatically a uh, Ronaldo fan? Oh, automatic! Because he's the greatest. I'm pretty sure I met him on my
1: mission. I have this journal entry. Are you serious? Meeting some kid named Ronaldo.
0: Oh come on, there. And he was
1: about that same age in Madeira. He grew up in Funchal, in Madeira. I was serving Madeira. You think you met little? I'm pretty sure I did. Ronaldo? Yeah, that's. I'm sticking to that story. Could have been anyone because there's a lot of kids that named that. Yeah. Would
0: (laughs) I be okay if I went to Portugal? Like, would my Portuguese be okay, or I'd be a weirdo? Um, Could I hang over there?
1: You could hang for sure.
0: Okay. good. Yeah. You could hang in Brazil. Brazil's great. <laughs> Brazil's great. Okay, so you come to BYU. It'd be enough to just be at BYU and play, probably. But this ends up being Jeff Judkins' first season. I think he's twenty something years in now here. Yeah. And oh my gosh, you guys go to the Sweet Sixteen. There's an argument that that's the greatest BYU team ever because it's one of two teams that mm-hmm. have gone to the Sweet Sixteen. What was that year like? And this is what O one O two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um it was awesome. It was, I love being coached by Jetty. He knows the game so well, his roots in the NBA and on the men's side with Rick Majerus. Um, one of the greatest minds in basketball. And I, I just soaked it all up. Like I never, it's almost like I'd never been coached before, before I came here, but I had a good feel for it. I just didn't know, you know, had the understanding behind it. So I loved, I love basketball. I, um, it was a very different team as far as no diversity for me. <laughs> First time ever with not a lot of diversity back then. Um, but it was a great group of teammates that I'm still close with to this day. Um, we hang out still. And I, it, it was very different to have people that have the same faith, the same um, background in that way.
0: And that was probably important to you. Yeah, In that decision or no? You no, just,
1: it, I just, okay. that was purely, hey, this is your You lot. need to go here. Yes. And so I'm gotcha. trying to be, you know, trying to be obedient. Um, but I, I ended up loving it. I mean, it was.
0: Because some people don't love it. Some people love it. For sure. It just depends.
1: It's just different, right? Yeah. Different than I'd ever had. But I ended up being really close to the team. Um, we had a lot of fun on the road. And um, I think because of that team chemistry, that took us to that next level. And um, the, co- the assistant coaches were really young too. So Jonas Chatterton, who's now at Oregon State, Allie Bills, um, Allie
0: Bills, who helped me with my uh, loan on my house currently.
1: Oh yes. Oh yeah. Uh, let's get a plug. I to love her. Allie. Yeah. Mortgage officer Allie, lo- Allie Bills <laughs> loans. Um, so she they were like I want to say they were like 26, so really young. Mm. Um, And I was older, so I was like really close to their age than compared to like the freshmen. So anyway, it was just a great group. It was a lot of, I felt like the coaches really trusted us. Um, We could do more than I could at UCLA on the road, for example. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) And so um, just we had a lot of fun. Team chemistry was great. And we just got a good um, draw in the tournament. And we played Florida and just whooped up on them. I think it was like 90 something to 50 something in the end. They were not prepared. They were ranked, I think they were like 24th or 23rd in the nation, just thought they would just steamroll us because we're 11 seed and they're a six seed. And then we get um, Iowa State at Iowa State and they sell out their arena. So huge crowd. Um, you know, we were down, I want to say like 10 ish points in the fourth or in the latter half of the second period near the end of the game but we just came back and just calmly just took the lead and the crowd just quieted down and that was a moment I'll never forget because when I was at UCLA we were really good we were expected to win it's different being the underdog and then coming in and upsetting someone and it's to be honest it's a lot more fun to do that um I'll take either, right? I've done both sides, but it's a lot of fun to come in and surprise people that don't expect it, don't think much out of you, you know, this team from Utah, this team, you know. So um, that was a lot of fun. And then we had Tennessee in the Sweet 16. Um, We had a chance to beat them, we had them. We had a good lead in the first half, and then we ended up losing by about 10 points. Um, They had Kara Lawson, who's now the Duke coach, and some other She's great amazing. Yeah, some other great players. So yeah.
0: hey, it's Pat Summit. It's Tennessee. It's yeah. It's a tough draw. Yeah, for sure. But when you get to the Sweet Sixteen, it's on, right?
1: Yeah, for yeah.
0: sure. What an incredible run! Yeah. Th- so twenty what fourteen uh, or thirteen? I believe the team uh also goes to the Sweet Sixteen. Mm-hmm. Matches up with UConn. 14. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking with Melanie Day on on Deep Blue. How's the jumper, by the way?
1: Oh, well, it's still wet. You know, oh, still again Still silky. Yeah. Um, it's okay. You know, I'm getting old and like I start breaking down in, in every way. But, um, if I am in the gym for a little bit, I can get that back and I can shoot a little bit, you okay. know?
0: Okay. That's good. <laughs> you never really lose it. Like Jetty says, you don't, you don't lose it. Yeah. We always ask him like, are you still the best shooter on campus? Oh. We We always think it's Brian Santiago versus Jeff Jenkins. Uh-huh. That's sort of yes. the perceived top two. We have a, like, two.
1: like a shootout. Yeah. Between those two.
0: I wish we had like a TV station we could show Because they this both on. talk
1: a lot of trash. So,
0: does Jetty talk a lot of oh, trash? Oh, for sure.
1: Uh, I want to say he's talking trash. He just, he just owns that he's the best shooter. Yeah. So they he, both he, believe it. They both believe it very strongly. So okay. we need to determine.
0: I love it. I need Jeff to fix my <laughs> shot. Yeah, my, my shot's terrible. I played today. I played terribly. I need him. Yeah. Okay. So you, tell us about your family dynamic. What's your husband's name? Your, how many kids do you have? What are their names?
1: Yeah. Um, Preston is my husband. And he, I met him in, when I was in Las Vegas coaching And I have three kids. Allison is 10, Marley's nine, and Fletcher's seven. And I got all those names and ages correct. Nice. I'm a good mom. Very nice. Um, So, yeah, I have three kids and a husband who works as an attorney. And, yeah.
0: And you're an assistant coach on Uh, the basketball team. Yeah. (laughs) With uh, three kids, uh, you know. Yeah, somehow
1: we make it work. How do you manage that? Um, Because you're gone a lot. Yeah. So, he just started his own practice last year. So he's at home most of the time. I also have amazing um, parents who decided to sell their house in California and move here.
0: They're one of many.
1: Yeah. They moved here and we actually built homes next to each other. So they oh, help that's out a fun. Lot. My mom is awesome. She helps out a lot.
0: Split yard or yeah. same yard?
1: Yeah. No fence in between.
0: No fence. Yeah. Nice. <laughs>
1: that's
0: fun. It's like every grandpa's and grandma's Yeah, They just walk right? out
1: on their um, back porch and just see our kids playing. So
0: That's awesome. That's so, yeah, great. that's
1: how we work, make it work. My husband is mostly from home for his work, and then my mom will help out a lot as well. That's so. awesome.
0: Okay, you said Fletcher is the youngest? Yeah. Boy? Okay, so when, when you're pregnant with Fletcher, you find out some terrible news. Yeah. And this is where your story is, to me, just eh, unbelievable. You have stage four breast cancer yeah. while pregnant. Uh, yes like pregnancy isn't hard enough right okay. right what what happens next because the fact that you're in here today talking to me is is a miracle
1: for sure for sure um yeah so i'm pregnant with my third and i am i'm i'm nursing my second child still so they're close they're all close in age mm. and i i have pain in my breast and i go to the um, I I see a doctor, and they tell me, you need to rule out cancer. Um, and so uh, I do the, you know, they do the needle biopsy, and sure enough, um, I have cancer. I'm pregnant. I'm just about near the end of my first trimester of pregnancy, and um, they tell me I have breast cancer. So in the doctor's office, you hear those words. I had my good cry, and had my good cry and then I'm like, hey, what do I do? Like, how do I fight this? How do I beat this? Like, okay, get, here's the fourth quarter in me, let's go. Tell me what to do. And after that, it was just like doctor visit after doctor visit, uh, just testing. The problem was I was pregnant. So they couldn't do a scan to actually find out exactly what stage I was in. Um, they were aggressive with it. Uh, but they didn't ever know exactly the stage. And so um, I did chemo while I was pregnant, which I never knew was possible. I thought when I got the diagnosis that I would have to abort the baby. Like I couldn't keep the baby, there's mm. no way. And so when I got the news that I could, I just was uh, ecstatic. So um, I go through chemo, the red devil as they call it. Uh, it's not fun at all. <laughs> Uh, and they had to do it for longer than typical because they wanted it to last my whole pregnancy so that I wasn't doing nothing, right? They didn't want to have any periods, um, any pauses in the treatment, so I extended this chemotherapy that was already draining me. I mean, most days I just spent in bed, barely able to get enough energy to go downstairs and eat to do anything. A lot of visits to the ER, uh, so many that it was like it was like the cheers bar back in the 80s. <laughs> Everyone knew my name. Um, I it was I would go in and they would always put me in the same room when I would get to the hospital. It was a small town. We lived in Moscow, Idaho while my husband was going through law school. And so it was a small hospital. It wasn't like I was just a number. They took really good care of me. So I'd show up at the ER. They I would crave the uh, getting on IV cuz I couldn't keep I couldn't keep hydrated. Uh, so sometimes I would just, like, just take me to the ER, get me some fluid. And so they'd hook me up to an IV, get me the fluid, and then they'd put me into this room in the labor and delivery floor, which is to be—it's to, known as the cleanest area of a hospital, right, because there's babies being born there. So they put me in this corner room, this really large room, and they always kept me in that room. And whenever I was done with my visit at the hospital, when I, my numbers were back up to more normal— I'd be sent home, but they would never let anyone go into that room because they knew I'd be coming back mm. so they always kept it open for me. Um, I can't tell you how many times I stayed there, but um, it
0: seems like that means a lot to you
1: for sure yeah the the care they took of me was I was lucky that I lived in that small town. I think if I lived in California or you know in a bigger city, I wouldn't be taken care of as much. Um, because there was a point when my husband finished law school. So I went through all the chemo, and I had the surgery, and then he finished law school. And it's like, okay, he had to finish law school. He had to find a job. He had to uh, pr- prepare for the bar. And then we had to move wherever we were going, right? Like, we had no idea where we were going to move. We were looking. He was looking anywhere and everywhere. He knew he wanted to be a prosecutor, so he was applying everywhere. He got a job in Nevada, and um, instead of me going with them, because it was a really small town, I'm talking like a couple thousand people. It was tiny, Lovelock, Nevada. Shout out to Lovelock, I loved it there. (laughs) Uh, And because of that, we didn't feel comfortable with me moving there for medical treatment and being so far away from a major hospital. So I moved to California with my parents with this brand new baby, and he moved to Northern Nevada by himself, so he could prepare for his bar exam and you know, have time to do that. And
0: you had your baby, but you also had your other two. I had my other two who are what? two and one?
1: They were three and a year and a half. Oh my. They're each a year and a half apart. and so um here I, here I am a week after this baby is born, and I'm on a plane with this baby flying uh, to California.
0: And you just finished chemo.
1: Uh-huh.
0: How long did you do, how much more chemo did you do? Like, did you do it twice as much?
1: No, so usually it's six rounds, and four or six rounds, and I did eight rounds. Mm. So, um,
0: What's a round of chemo? Yeah, so just an infusion,
1: yeah. So you go in, it depends on what type of chemo. Mine was, um, you know, I had a port, and um, they just put, the nurses just sat there and hooked me up, and they just pushed that red stuff in. And that's funny because they're like all garbed up in like protective gear. They've got every, they've got everything covered up. No skin of theirs is showing. And here I am, just like, all right. Well, I guess it doesn't matter if I get if the chemo gets on me, huh? Because you're like the one all garbed up. And <laughs> so um, so yeah, they just push it in, and they it takes hours, and then they have to flush it. And anyway. It's boring. You just sit there. You would think it'd be like more exciting or more like crazy or dangerous or I don't know. I don't know what I imagined before, but I didn't know you're just literally sitting there and it's just slowly going into you. And yeah, you get tired. I definitely got tired and took naps, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's what it was like. That's a round of chemo. And then you wait about three weeks. So afterwards you're doing pretty good, but then you, you know, your white blood cell count gets really low and then it comes back up just in time for your next round. Mm. So the cycle of it.
0: When did you lose your hair?
1: Um, Probably a month and a half into it. It was maybe even sooner than that. It just started just clumping out, shedding out of my head. And so I remember this one day I felt it. I put my hand in my hair and I just went like i Put my hand through my hair and a big clump came out, and I sat there over the toilet, like just pulling out a ton of my hair. And I thought, okay, it's time, like? it's time to shave my head. Just shave it off. Yeah, just shave yeah. it off. So my mother-in-law um, shaved shaved my hair. When my you
0: head. when you had uh, your baby, mm-hmm. did you have hair?
1: No, I was completely bald. Yeah, because so I had just finished the chemo. And, yeah. yeah, and you yeah.
0: get on that plane, you just what what an experience. If yeah. people only knew. What you yeah. had just gone through and were going through. Yeah. Right?
1: And it wasn't, you know, back then I had, I did have like a face mask and gloves because my doctors were so worried about me getting on a plane.
0: You're vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. At that point, right? And
1: so I'm still wearing, I'm wearing that stuff and uh, I'm sure I look like a freak, but <laughs> I was used to it by then. I was You're, used to people staring at me and, mm. you know, have someone who had this big belly and was bald and so I was definitely used to it.
0: <laughs> wow. We're talking with Melanie Day on Deep Blue. So you hop on that plane. You go to California. Yeah. And and what's life like now as you navigate this with your husband who's starting as a lawyer and prosecutor in Nevada in a small town, and you're with your parents, and you have three kids, yeah. three and under. Yeah, and it was. And you're probably feeling terrible still. Yes. Let alone you just had a baby. Yeah. Your body has gone through two very unique situations.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's. It's funny because when I was pregnant and doing all the chemo, I, sometimes I would forget I was pregnant because that's, that's not what, I, what is on my mind. My mind is like, I'm just trying to get by every day and get through it and get enough food in me. It's like, oh yeah, I'm growing a baby too. How'd you have the energy to have a baby? Uh, I don't know. It just It'd be
0: hard enough to just have a baby normally. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's perhaps, there's no great time to ever have cancer, of course, but you yeah. had it when you were pregnant. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: I don't know how that. I don't know how Fletcher is. Well, I wouldn't say he's normal. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know how he came out totally fine. Nothing. Were you afraid he wouldn't? Yeah, they were concerned with chemo his chemo and a baby. That's yeah, yeah, a little scary. They were concerned with his heart, but he ended up being fine. So normal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a miracle. He's a little bit, uh, you know, all over the place, but that's just his personality. <laughs> I, I hope. I presume. So, so yeah. I mean. It was, it's funny because when I was going through it, I didn't think it was that hard because you're just go. you know, when you're going through something hard, you're just, you're just doing it. You're, you're just fighting through and you're, you're doing it. As I look back on it in hindsight, I could have easily died. I mean, there was times I had my, my white blood cell count was zero multiple times. I had to get blood transfusions, um, neutropenic, you know, just like so many things wrong with me that. I just was looked at after, I guess, and somehow God blessed me to to get through that, to tell the story today. I don't know. I don't know how I did it, but, yeah. It, it it really didn't feel like much as I was going through it, but as I look back, it was a lot. And I'm sure that's how other people felt because I would always joke about it and say it's not that big a deal, but— There's your sarcasm. Yeah, and other people are were really worried about me, and I just thought, you know— I'm fine. Don't worry about me. You know? So I think that's how we handle our trials in life. Like no one wants another person's trials, but that person who's going through it knows how to get through it because that's what they're given. And that's just, they have to get through it. They have to fight through and find a way. So people would all the time say that to me. I don't know. I don't know how you could do it. I could never do it. And I, and I say, yes, you could, whatever trial you're given. Yes, you could, you can, you could get through it. Yeah. It's just what I had to go through, and it's no different than someone who has, like, a silent disease like like depression. It's just as hard, probably harder, uh, because no one pays attention to it or th- gives it much credibility like people do with cancer.
0: Yeah. Yours was certainly visible. For sure. Like, I'm imagining you on that plane. Bald, baby, <laughs> yeah, body post-pregnancy, like, that's... Face that
1: mask, p- which was not normal gloves, back then. Gloves,
0: you said? Yeah, gloves. Like... That was that was a moment, right? Yeah. That was a moment for you. Okay, so this was 7 years ago? Yep. Since you're young is 7? Mhm, yep. At this point, are you told you only have a couple years to live? What's the conversation like?
1: No, so I go to California and I still have more chemo to do and then it's I It's not ha- over. It's not over. Yeah, that was just a little break and they could actually stage me, which is also super confusing. Because you're not
0: staged at this point. it wasn't you staged because you when you're know pregnant, you
1: can't you can't do a scan, right? You don't it,
0: know if it's stage one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, and so was it was that scary not knowing how far along it was? Yes
1: and no. It, the fact that I was doing treatment made it less scary. Like, okay, we're taking action here, mm. so this is good. Once I had the baby and I get to California, I get a scan, and that's inconclusive. It's either stage three or four. They don't know. Isn't that crazy? Mm. You'd think, come on, you'd figure that out. Tell me. So they treat me as if I'm stage four. They're very aggressive um, with with the chemo. And then I start radiation, which was really easy at first, but it got really hard. It fatigues you and it just, you have, you know, your flesh is just, they burn you. And um, so they say they did radiation on my chest where my um, cancer was and they, um, yeah, I was just totally open wounds. Uh, it was pretty gnarly, yeah. So that was um, a time when here I am going through all these treatments. Yeah, I have a little boy, a brand new baby boy that I'm supposed to take care of, which I tried to do for the first few weeks. And then... Uh,
0: You're talking about breastfeeding?
1: Um, I could breastfeed until I started chemo. Mm. But once I started chemo, I couldn't, right? That's and, complicated, yeah. Um, and I only had one breast to do that. in, so... Um, it, I, I tried to take care of them at night by feeding them, you know, um, and then I got to a point where I was, I got so sick, I had to go to the um, hospital again and I had pneumonia. I had the, the flu. I was a mess. Um. You're
0: extremely vulnerable.
1: Yeah. With the white blood cell count. For sure. Any, any little cold for anybody else was pneumonia for me, Mm. you know, or something. That's intense. Yeah, for sure. And so. I'm in this hospital and I remember being there for a few days. well, I don't remember the first few days really, but by the like the third or fourth day I remember looking up and I'm like, there's a TV in here. <laughs> I could have been watching HGTV TV this whole time. what am I doing? <laughs> um, so I was so out of it in fact, my family was trying to call my parents are trying to call me my poor husband was trying to call me because he doesn't even he's not even in California he's still in Nevada, right He was so worried about me but I didn't have the energy to talk on the phone. I was, I was just a mess. Um, that was a very memorable hospital visit. So after that point, I wasn't taking care of Fletcher and through the night, uh, my doctor demanded that I actually get some sleep and not do that. So my sweet mother took care of my baby, uh, stayed up with him all night and fed him. Um, and she's not, you know, young and Full of energy. She's older and uh, something that I will never forget. Something that, I, for them, I think they'll always be bonded because of that. Fletcher and my mom.
0: What a period of your life. So you're going through that chemo. You're in Southern California. W- when do you realize, because uh, eventually, I, I hear of you because BYU says, oh, Melanie Day is a former player here. She's got a bucket list. One of these things is Duke, North Carolina. we gotta, we got to send her to this game. That's when I first heard your story. What, how long does it take to get to the point where you're like, hey, I want to make a bucket list because I don't know how long yeah. I'm going to live?
1: Yeah. Uh, um, I am cancer-free for a year, a full year. And then going in for my routine scan, I get the call from my doctor to to come in the next day to talk in the office. Never good. Just tell me on the phone. Why can't you tell me on the phone? Um, so any ask that my husband comes. So we show up and he's explaining all the stuff in his doctor jargon. And I'm just trying to keep it light and and humorous. And he finally is puts his hand on my knee and, and he's like, Melanie, I don't think you understand. You have two to five years to live. The cancer has spread to your bones and your lower back. And the statistics say that you have two to five years to live. What year is this? Um, five and a half.
0: Well, well, well. Two to five. And we're past the five mark.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was that was a a hard car trip home that day. And um, uh, immediately everything changes, right? Like, someone tells you you have a certain amount of time to live. It's, well... Uh, no more wasting time. Let's go do the, all those things that we said we'd do. Let's go do them. And so that's kind of where the back of this came from. And part of it was, I mean, honestly, I was joking about the this Duke-North Carolina game. That was a complete joke. There's no way in the world I can get tickets to that game. Like, that's impossible. So it was a, it's, a, and there's other things on there that, you know, that I would have loved to do, but I didn't know if I could have. So I've actually crossed off quite a few of those.
0: What um, are some of those?
1: Um, I went skydiving. Nice. How <laughs> was that? It was a lot of fun. I did it in New Zealand. What? Yeah, even better, right? Yes. It was you crazy. flew into Mordor? That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so. What else? Um, what else did I do? I started a nonprofit. Oh, um, about what? Well, it's changed since then, and I've uh, uh, someone else has take, taken over, but um, hey, I did it. It was a lot of work to even figure out how do you do this, and this is my idea, and get people behind me. I got people behind me, and they've kind of run with it and done their own thing now, but that was a really cool experience. And so, you know, other things like float down the Provo River. I've never done that. Yeah, got to do it. It's so it. simple, right? But I, I did that. I took yeah. a girls' trip to the Northeast, saw the fall, the leaves in the fall. New York City with some some of my good friends and so just some things like that um, that I've accomplished yeah.
0: That's awesome. Let's talk about Duke, North Carolina. Okay, let's talk. You said you joked about it. Yes. Well, it was no joke to Jeff Judkins and BYU women's basketball. They raised the funds to send you to that, and Jeff Judkins actually messages Coach K and gets tickets and they host you and.
1: Yeah. What was that like? Incredible. Seriously, the and best... And it's
0: Duke, Carolina. This is like Duke Caroli- the college basketball game to go to.
1: The, In my opinion, the best rivalry in sports.
0: And the best location.
1: Yes. At Duke. At Cameron Indoor Stadium. This tiny facility. This tiny arena.
0: People don't get how small it is. Yeah, they don't. Like, I think the Smithfield house is bigger on campus.
1: It is. I right? think it is. It's tiny. I think it is. Cameron
0: Indoor is small. <laughs> I've not been. I need to go.
1: Yeah. You, you haven't been? That's on my bucket list. Oh, wow. Yeah. You need to go for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh... It's so tiny and the be- there's these benches for the Cameron Crazies, right? That's a whole nother like topic right there, the Cameron Crazies. That was so fascinating to learn more in depth how they do it. Um, I got to meet these, I can't remember what they're called, but there's like these line leaders and people who go around during the camping and they do quizzes and there's different spots that they have to... People have to be there in their tent if they want to hold their spot in line or they get kicked. Anyway, there's just, there's so much to the Cameron crazies that people have no idea about.
0: How was the game?
1: How was the game? How was the experience? The experience was amazing. And so, you met Coach K? I met Coach K. Nice. He actually, I was, so my brother actually lives there in Raleigh. Mm. And he, I was there. I got there, I don't know, Sunday. I get a call while we're eating dinner. And the person on the other line says, hi, Melanie, this is Coach K. And I start <laughs> laughing. I start laughing. Like and I just did. Yes, yes, wouldn't you? And he keeps going, and I'm like, this really is Coach K. This is his voice. And so I'm jumping up out of the off the dinner table, like running upstairs, just kind of pacing like how you are when you're kind of nervous and excited. And uh, he calls me. He doesn't have to do that. He calls me. To let me know how it's gonna work, he he's invited me to practice the next day, and he's letting me know how it's gonna work and where to go. And he could have had his you know executive assistant do that, someone else do that, but he calls me. Um, that made everything like it could have ended after that, but it kept going.
0: Did you save his number in your phone?
1: Yes. <laughs> do you still I have still it? I still have it. Oh, nice. Yes.
0: Uh, share that contact with me later. Only with special kidding. people. I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> okay, then what? So, then the next morning, um next day we go to practice and uh, just eating it up, just soaking up everything. He has he doesn't even tell the players to do this. I think they're so accustomed to do it, to doing this, but each one of them came up to me and like shook my hand and greeted me. They said thank you for coming, said a little bit about me like that they knew. It's just so classy, like just incredible experience. The one of the managers takes me on a tour everywhere and then brings this big bag to me of gear I'm like oh my this is so after that um, I, we just kind of hang out walk through the Cameron Crazies I just want to talk to people I I got got donuts for them I bought yeah, a bunch of there donuts there were some news
0: stations that kind of jumped in with you, you yeah can, yeah that's you true you can watch some of these
1: yeah a lot of yep. these um, it's cool. news stations locally kind of followed me around love that, yeah, yeah. And so I brought donuts and handed them out and just chatted with the students and um, a lot of them were drunk, but <laughs> some of them weren't, so it was fun. Uh, and then the crazy thing is, is that um, Eric Montross, mm-hmm. he played at North Carolina years ago. He's he's the radio or the yeah radio guy for them. Yeah, he heard about my story, and we ran. I randomly ran into his wife, and then and she. Had told me how Eric was, they were watching my news story the night before and they were saying, How wouldn't it be? We would love to meet this person, right? They wanted to meet me and we just randomly uh, met. So we exchanged numbers and he had me come to the North Carolina side, which I felt like I was kind of cheating.
0: Because because Duke had hooked you up. Duke
1: is the one who had hooked me up. Duke gave me the tickets. Um, and so I felt like I couldn't tell either side like what was happening. Like I didn't want to tell Coach <laughs> K. Like yeah, by the way, I met Roy Williams also and went to their practice, and got to tour their facilities. So that was kind of funny.
0: How many miles away?
1: I don't know. What it's is it? Close, it's like seven? Right? I don't know.
0: No, it's like four, I thought. Okay, it's well, UVA. That's like three Honestly, it's very close. Yeah,
1: very close. Yeah. And so I go to their practice, meet them. I get to play. Pig with Joel Berry, nice. Who ends up being the finals MVP that that year, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Guess who won? You did. I won. I beat him in Pig. Jumper still. I good. have it. I have it on uh, on video. So. Um. Yeah, just an incredible experience. Eric Montross is like the nicest guy on earth. He's so incredibly generous and.
0: I had an experience with Eric as well. Myself. Did you? BYU plays uh, Louisville in 07 okay. In Vegas. Beats Louisville. North Carolina is about to tip off. And I talked to Eric for a sec. My dad's from Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, wow. I actually loved UNC until yeah. I moved to Utah and kind of went all in BYU. Okay. But,
1: but that's I, like your backup, is the Tar Heels?
0: Not really. Oh, not it's anymore. It's kind be. of faded. Yeah, okay. it totally faded. But um, I talked to him about, hey, my dad's from North Carolina, big Tar Heel fan. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah. he was the nicest guy ever. So nice. He was great. The next day, BYU plays North Carolina and actually plays him pretty tough.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's this
0: memorable game, right? Yeah. But he was great.
1: He yeah, was great. he's yeah. so yeah. He hooks me up with all that, takes me on a tour, and he's like,
0: "What Duke give you? I will double it."
1: Yeah, they <laughs> gave me gear. They had, they gave me UNC gave me gear. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, I got to meet Coach Williams, and uh, the next day, so then I'm like buddies with both staffs. But I'm like, Duke brought me here, and I've always been a Duke fan, and so. While I love Eric and I do, I have a greater appreciation for the Tar Heels and, and how they're just so different. And um, I learned a lot about the rivalry within North Carolina. Like most people in North Carolina are North UNC fans. I didn't know this. Most people, the Duke fan base is, is you know, like global, nationwide. It's not yes. necessarily in North Carolina. There's not that many in North Carolina. So.
0: Interesting. My, my dad would always say, son, do you know why the sky is blue? I said, why, Dad? I, I don't know. He's like, because God loves Carolina. <laughs> that's, that's how the, they that's are. That's the shade of blue. And I was that's like, that's I don't are. think that's true. But that was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, they won the Natty the, the, you know this year, so they're good. Okay, so you go to that game. That's amazing. But like you said, you were told two to five years, but here we are five and a half out. Yeah. So where where are you at with things? How's, how are you?
1: Yeah, so after I was given that prognosis, they did radiation and then they put me, I, I basically take um, a pill every day. Uh, hor- I do hormone, ther- hormone therapy and it's worked. I, I actually doctor shopped after that. I got second opinions kind of in different places. I thought maybe, I knew we had to move. I knew we couldn't stay there. Um, I, I just wanted to get to a better hospital facility and situation. And I, where we were living in Nevada, there weren't. I didn't have any family members, and I knew, I knew I'd be in our family with that much time left. So,
0: did you move to Vegas at this point?
1: No, no. Um, sorry, we were we were in that little town of Lovelock, but then we moved just closer to Reno in a small town mm. next to Lake Tahoe. So it wasn't nice. tiny. But it was it was great. We loved it. We loved Lake Tahoe.
0: You at least had Reno in terms of hospital. Yeah, exactly. Could. That's where I was at. Yeah. But
1: um wanted something a little bit better. So we doctor shopped. And all the doctors told me, you, we need to get your port put back in. We need to get you on chemo. You need to do radiation. You need to do, horm-, you know, all these things. They're like, you need to do all these things right away. I came here to Utah. And I always kind of knew that we're supposed, not always, after this prognosis, I had a feeling that we sh- we should move to Utah, which was very foreign to us. We're not from here.
0: You had lived here for, what, a year in college? Yeah, then? yeah,
1: you know, not that long for college. And so I didn't ever imagine myself coming here to live with my family. And so this prompting that I have to move to Utah was so foreign. And But we took our visit here to the Huntsman and met with a doctor. And uh, her plan was, no, let's start with the easiest thing without putting your port back in, without doing chemo. See if this works. And if that doesn't work, then we'll jump to this. And then and then we'll know what is and isn't working. And I thought this lady is brilliant. Why haven't all these other doctors thought of this? And the, so the she sold Cancer me.
0: Institute is legit. It's
1: legit. And so I there's some other things that happened where we felt very strongly we need to move here. Um, number one being her this doctor. Um, and so yeah, we we moved to Utah um, based on that. And and uh, we do what she says. The the very simple thing and. That has worked this whole time. I have never had to go back into chemo since then. Oh, wow. I had to do radiation, but I haven't had to do um, chemo since. So my doctor tells me I'm a walking miracle. N- my cancer hasn't changed. It's stayed where it is. It has not spread. its um, They say I'm no evidence of active disease, NEAD. Mm. So it's kind of like the equivalent of remission for stage 1, 2, and 3. But since stage four doesn't have a cure, um, you don't necessarily say in remission. Mm. You see, you say N-E-A-D. So I'm as best as you can get with a stage four diagnosis. Wow! Just healthy as can be, sort of when I work out and eat right and sleep, which <laughs> rarely happens. But um, yeah, I'm I feel normal. I am working here at BYU, which is another, you know, crazy stuff in my life that I never thought I would get back into coaching. Uh, But yeah, I just count my blessings every day that I am alive and healthy.
0: When you were hired at BYU, I thought, oh, she must be doing really well Uh with your health, right? Yeah. Because if it wasn't going well, you're not signing up for what it takes to be an assistant coach. Because you're out on the road, you're going. And even then, let's talk about this. You ended up tearing your ACL mid-season or something (laughs) two years ago? Yes. Playing uh, pickup or something? Uh What happened?
1: Yeah, I was playing a, in a just a little tournament at Provo Rec Center with some friends.
0: Shooter's gonna shoot.
1: Shooter's gonna shoot. I made this nice move, juke this girl, planted hard, gonna go up strong, and then twist, torn ACL, screamed my head off. I'm sure it was super embarrassing.
0: <laughs> and then you're rolling around on with a boot, or or sorry, with a you know knee, yeah, crutches, knee brace and yeah. the wheelie yeah. around and yep, like it's hard enough to just. Walk around and live, right?
1: Exactly. And, and be an
0: I, assistant coach and a mom of three.
1: For sure. For sure. Now I have a torn ACL and I'm supposed to be coaching. How am I going to coach? Add
0: this to the list. Yeah. jeez, For
1: sure. For sure. Yeah. So I, and I also had two hip surgeries right before that. Yeah. Just, I just love surgery. I think I like the drugs after <laughs> the Percocet. And so that's why I try to get injured and get, get the Percocet as much as I hey, can.
0: Hey, TMI, <laughs> TMI. Well, yeah, you're a walking miracle. You really are. Do you, how do you feel about, you know, you were told two to five and you're past two to five or you're past five. Yeah. What's, what's, how do you look at life now? I mean, with where you're at and like you said, like you have stage four breast cancer still. Mm -hmm. You live with that every day. Yeah. What's that like?
1: Yeah. I guess it's something that I don't really talk about because I'm I'm kind of living my normal life. I'm so busy with my normal life that, A, I don't have time to think about it. B, I'm not seeing doctors all the time like I usually was. Um, it's just not on my mind. And my mindset is that I, I've i been given this chance, like this second chance at life. And so I'm trying to make the most of it. And um, I... I don't know how much time I have. We No one knows how much time they have, but I'm just going to make the most of it, and I'm not going to, like, sit here and, oh, poor me, and dwell on the fact that I was given this prognosis, I'm past it. So what does that mean? Does that mean it's going to come any day now? Like, I'm not – I can't stress about it. I can't add that to my already stressful life. Um, and so I just have to live like like anyone else. Live like, like it didn't – I didn't even have the diagnosis. Just live um, – the best that I can and go on with my life. I can't sit here and and dwell on it and talk about it. You know, I rarely talk about it anymore because of just the busyness of my my job and my family and just all the responsibilities that I have.
0: Well, thanks for talking about it today.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Every once in a while, it's good. You know, it's yeah. it's good. So,
0: how has this experience changed you? That's the most loaded question I could possibly ask you. <laughs>
1: Very good, Jeremy. Really, really proud of your interviewing, skill- <laughs> interviewing skills. How has it changed me? Mm. In so many ways, um, it's made me want to rethink or check myself when I when I'm about to judge someone, and that could be in any way. It could be their appearance, right? Like I was judged all the time walking into the grocery store: bald lady, big belly. Uh, two tiny little kids. Like, who is this lady? And and to to have a you know, when I would be in that situation and people are staring at me, I would always try to make an effort to to initiate a conversation because I knew they had the question, "What is wrong with you? Why are you bald?" You know, and so I I tried to um, initiate the conversation and, and and talk with them, and it's made me realize it's okay to ask people what what's going on. You know in a way that shows that you have genuine concern, not in a judgmental way, you know, why are you bald? But um, in a gentle and and caring way, I think you can do that with people. I think people are too afraid. People who look different or in a wheelchair or just, it's okay to talk to them. I think people would rather have that than just be ignored or stared at all the time and never, no one ever talks to them because they look different. I'm too afraid to ask them a question, Um, but yeah, life is too short to judge people um, life is so hard How, you know why would we why would we want to judge people like leave that up to the 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 ultimate judge um, it's changed me into uh, stop saying someday like someday I'm going to be um, in good shape someday well that's still something I'm working on um, someday I'm going to be rich and going to be generous with my money someday I'm going to start a business someday I'm going to take this dream vacation, whatever it is. I I think we all need to take a look at that and say to ourselves, why not? Like, like let's do that now. Like, make it happen. Because we don't know if we're going to have that someday. It's made me just so many things. But I I think the main things to me are just treating people better, um, being more compassionate and understanding that, that life is really hard and we need to also not judge ourselves and if we can not judge ourselves it makes it easier not to judge other people um, and forgiving ourselves that we're not perfect at things and um, being patient with ourselves I think a lot of people struggle with that uh, so I hope to help my kids with that I hope to help my players with that and understanding that um, giving that giving them that broader perspective because we're so focused on the here and now and like the you know these college students are, which I understand because I was this way, but very um, about me. You know what it, what is in it for me, and this is all about me. Which it is. It's a time where they're trying to figure out their their own lives and and also what they want to do with their lives and who they want to spend it with. It's a it's a big time. That's you know they have a lot of those decisions that they're coming upon, but but broadening their um, perspective to understand that um, we need to treat people better, and uh, there's it's not just this short life. There's a much more eternal uh, perspective to, to remember and to understand, like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. It's not just this right here, this earth life. It's a lot longer. we got a lot of time, and, a, and, uh, and that's what's important. It's, it matters what happens in a million years, not what is happening right now.
0: She's a walking bucket. She's a walking miracle. <laughs> Melanie, thanks for taking several minutes to hang out here.
1: Thank you so much, Jerem. You made me cry, so job well done.
0: <laughs> That'll do it for us. You can watch these Deep Blue stories on the BYU TV app, listen to previous episodes of the radio show on the BYU Radio app, or where podcasts are found. For Melanie Day, producer Trent Reimschusel, I'm Jerem Jordan. We'll be back every Saturday with more compelling Deep Blue stories right here on BYU Radio.